Hello, people. This is episode 143 of Just Because the Human Experience podcast. This was recorded September 25th. Today is October 3rd. Um, this episode features my interview with Bruce Nelson. This was fantastic. I'm so excited to, to share this conversation with you all. I will put his website on uh, in the show notes so you can check out his work. He's doing really great stuff. It's definitely stories that, that should be told and should be shared. Also, there's the Just Because Pod playlist on Spotify. I asked the guests to give a song recommendation so then of, of what they're currently feeling in life. I've put them all in, in one spot so you could check it out. The music definitely ranges as what I was hoping for because I have on many different people from different walks of life and different times in their life. So... That's pretty fun. Be well. Do something to take care of yourself this week. Or I guess every day. Something small. Or humongous. Just do it. Try to take that time to make sure you're looking out for yourself. Hey, 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 how you doing? Good. I'm at a coffee shop. Hope that's not going to be a problem. Can you hear me okay? Yep, I can definitely hear you. All right, yeah, there'll be some background stuff. There's a talent show going on and people serving coffee, but I figured what the heck, it makes it more interesting, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Get a variety of the sounds back there, yeah. yeah. Let, me get the, let me grab the headphones just in case. How you <laughs> been, man? Thanks for uh, reaching out. Yeah, of course. I actually heard about you. I interviewed Lydia uh, Quinones um, a few episodes ago, and she said, hey, you know who would be great to talk to? Bruce Nelson. And I said, sure. What, what is his, uh, his info? And I'm glad we were able to get it back and forth and then even just get a date going. So I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if this happens with you, but when people recommend things, there's always a hesitancy like, uh, oh, I wonder, I wonder if this is actually going to be good. Is this gonna, and then I went on your website. Oh man, you've you've done so much. This is gonna be a nine-hour podcast. I I don't know. Um, I don't know about that. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I've done a few things. <laughs> yeah, quite a few things. I watched Northtown. I bought Porch Stories. Oh. Unfortunately, my uh, my four-year-old wouldn't let me just read. Wouldn't just let me read for uh, a day or so. So uh, I've yet to get through it. But I, I'm excited to to finish that. What what drew me quickly as an actor, and I'm an actor as well. My, my very first play that I was in was You Can't Take It With You. And I, I played uh, Donald. And so when I saw, you know, it was on your resume, I was said, the fates have aligned. I was very excited. Uh, that was, uh, that was, it was on the theater company. Yeah, it was, I, I had a great time doing that. Yes. Um, yes. So uh, can you tell me a little bit, where are you from? How did this, uh, this journey in your life start? Hey, guys. Uh, you know, back in high school, doing stuff, doing a bunch of fun kind of things, you know, doing some high school plays. And uh, I used to do the, back in the day, I used to do the high school announcements. Oh. And I would do them, this is going to date me, I would do them uh, with the Bill Cosby characters. So I would do all those character voices. That's awesome. <laughs> and doing those, uh, doing those things you do, I would do announcements. That was like 
crazy. And then I, I had a couple of uh, short bits, stand-up bits that I did. I still can't believe that, um, that I wrote, and, and, you know, they weren't very long, but, but they were fun. You know, I had yeah. a great time. In high school, I did a lot of stuff. Performed in like all the plays all the time. I was an athlete as well. So it was, that was the beginning of, you know, that kind of stuff. And actually earlier than that, in grade school, I remember one of the first songs I performed was called uh, Happy Fellow. Mm. And they gave me a, a pole, a fishing pole and a straw hat. <laughs> and I paraded around and singing this song. I think it was in the second grade. So that really sort of clinched it. I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is something I could do. Yeah. So it's been, it's been hit the ground running from then. I haven't stopped since. My, my parents didn't really understand the acting thing. So it took them a few years of me being in plays uh, for them to eventually just support it. Even if I don't even know if they actually really support it. But how were your parents as you're growing up, you're sort of showing these flourishes of, of wanting to be a performer. Uh, how did they take to it? You know, the, the, the early stuff, my mother would, would, would show up to like in elementary school. She would show up to that. And then we got to junior high and then I was doing more. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, if that's what you want to do, then fine. And she never really swept me about it. Then I would do it. And then I, I, I remember getting a job at a burger joint. So I did that for a while. And she goes, well, if you don't want to work there, just quit. You don't have to. And so as it grew and started doing more stuff, about high school time, she just, it was just so much. She was just like, I can't come to all this stuff, you know? And that was fine. I, I was I was okay with that. I knew she supported me and I didn't need that pat on the back anymore. Yeah. I was okay with it. And then one of my first jobs was a singing waiter uh, here in Mesa. <laughs> and so she she came to see it was my first time. They hired us as a performer, then they taught us to wait tables. Mm-hmm. And I I did pretty well in that show. I had a couple of really nice solos, closing numbers, and I I, I guess I kind of stood out. The reviews came and they they really liked what I was doing. And so I had my mom come and so her and my my, my great aunt, a couple of their friends came and they treated them like royalty. And uh, they were serving at the time, they were serving like lobster and ramaki and, you know, some, some wonderful things. So when they came in, the, the owner was like, hey, just bring them everything. Bring them one of everything. Let them taste all the food. <laughs> and they were like, no, no, we're just here to see him. And they were like, no, we're, he's like one of our main guys. And so I did it. And, and one of the comments my mom said, she goes, you know, you, you really you, you do pretty good. He goes, but, you know, you, you move so much, you know, can't you just stand and sing? I go, no, mom, that's that's the thing. And she said to me, you know, you remind me of that guy you like to watch on TV. And I said, what's that guy? What's his name? Oh, I said, Ben Vereen. She goes, yeah, you're, you're like him. But I was like, that's amazing. Mom. That's, yeah. that's quite a comparison, you know, but she was like, you just, just stand and sing. You have a good voice. And I go, no, mom, that, it's all about all that. Not everybody can do those two things at the same time like that. So, but yeah, she was supportive from the beginning. And then when I started getting paid more and doing films, um, my brothers would ask, you know, what does he do? And she goes, well, he does the acting thing, whatever that is. And it's so funny you talk about you can't take it with me. She came and saw me 
that was one of the times as an adult she came and saw me doing a play and it was at Scottsdale Center for the Arts and I was like well mom you know we should bring a lot of family so she goes no 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 I want to come by myself I said, yeah but you can sit with the grandkids and my brothers and she goes no I said okay I said but I have to go early because I have to do all my warm-ups and there's a lot of stuff I have to do but you're gonna be sitting there by yourself like 45 minutes alone with the audience and she goes that's fine so we get there and, and I told her, I said, okay, they get you great seats. I said, okay, when the play is over, stay right where you are. Don't get up and leave. Just stay where you are. And I, because I got to go take my makeup off and I got to <clears throat> take costume off. And then it's going to be a little while before I come out. Mm-hmm. And so we did the show and I came out and she was gone. I was like, wait. No. <laughs> she was following the crowd. And, um, she ended up in the lobby and, and I think someone asked her, you know, you know, are you waiting for somebody? And she goes, oh, my son is in the play. And they went, what? He goes, yeah, that was your son. She goes, yeah. She goes, oh, he's like really good and everything. And so I came out and said, mom, thanks for coming. And she goes, you know, I really like that play because it reminded me, she said, of your father because of the clothing and the era. Yeah. And so she really liked it, but that was one of the few times she saw me as an adult uh, working as an actor. And then when I started doing films, I got a film part. I was really I played a bad guy, and I was cursing and shooting people. Oh, and she was like, "Don't do those kind of things." <laughs> I'm like, "No, Bob. They paid me a lot of money to do that." Yeah, it was the opposite with Charlie Sheen. It's called No Code of Conduct. You know, an action film. Never, all actors want to do action films. You know? Yeah, of course. And so, yeah, and she was like, "Well, okay," but I said, "But you, Kendall, don't you don't curse so much." I go, "Mom, that was the guy swears." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Th- she was always pretty supportive. Oh man, that's so great. Um, I remember you can't take it with you. It was my first uh, performance, uh, and my mom came. And she's, she's Filipino, so it's always a stereotype of, why don't you be a nurse? Why don't you be an engineer? And so she saw it, and they waited in the lobby. You know, we go back, take off makeup, everything's changed. And then I feel like it's just an Asian thing where they don't want to give too much compliments. And it's just, you did good, Michael. And I was like, that was it? That's all you're going to say? Like months of rehearsal and all this stuff? All right, like that's, that's all I'm going to get out of you. Um, what I, what I really love, like going through your website and like uh, reading some of the stuff and watching, you seem inspired by really showcasing, I think you even put on the website, like multi-generational, uh, culturally diverse, you know, North town, which I really appreciated because I remember, you know, going to school and you hear about civil rights movement, uh, Jim Crow laws, stuff like that. And I remember thinking, wow, what a weird far away world that must have been yeah there's no i never even imagined that happened in arizona even though it's the same country right for some reason it did not click and so i'm watching um north town which is on amazon my mind is just boggled and i'm i'm even thinking why didn't i put together that this was happening here what was sort of the driving force for you to to sort of create uh that project you know, Northtown was, was a love project. And when the light rails start coming to Mesa, I knew that people were wanting, wanting to live in the downtown. And we're close to the downtown. 
And so I thought, you know what, folks are not going to remember. And most people that come to Mesa don't realize that Mesa had a segregated community. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a grant and with the Mesa Historical Museum, and I was going to do an exhibit, the hats exhibit mm-hmm. and the documentary. And they only gave us about a third of the money. So I was like, oh, wow, what are we going to do? It's not enough money. And so I called a producer friend of mine. I said, hey, I, I, I got this documentary. I've never made a documentary before, but I love documentaries. I watch them all the time. So she said, well, let's see what the money you have and let's figure it out. Because I really want people to remember and know the presence of, of African-Americans and Latinos and Native Americans in Mesa and then where they were segregated, you know, just a part of the history that people don't like to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so we got the money and I put out the word. I told everybody, look, I want to I want to hear your stories. I want you to tell me about what was happening with you. I mean, as you can see, people really told their stories. I was so surprised. We called around, did announcements and showed up uh, in the neighborhood. And we had a list of people that were going to be there. And then we walked through the neighborhood to do some interviews. And I mean, pretty much everybody in the neighborhood knew me. And I knew them partially because I used to be the paper boy in the neighborhood. So I was at a lot of people's different homes. And I remember going to Mr. Parker's house, old man, Mr. Parker was old, he's like 90 years old. And I said, Mr. Parker, we want to talk to you about growing up in the community. He's like, ah, boy, get the hell away from me. Uh, <laughs> oh, Mr. Parker, we, we want to hear your story. You know, you, you've been around here for a long time. And he was like, I know who you are. I said, yes. He said, I know your grandma. I, I said, yes, sir, you do. And he, he wouldn't talk to me, you know. And then uh, old man Brown, same way. He's like, I ain't got nothing to say, you know. But then we to other places and you saw the lady with the curlers in her hair. Mm-hmm. She was great. She's like, she's trying to feed everybody. Oh, that's <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, she was always stopping and saying, you know, we got some food. If you got some Kool-Aid in there if you want it. <laughs> so, so it was great. So, you know, we put it together. We shot for one day. And I really hoped that if I could get 15 minutes, I'd be happy. And it ended up being 65 minutes, which uh, we're, I'm re-editing it. I'm mm. going back and doing because I found some footage of uh, Miss Johnson we talked about our interview with her from years ago. So I'm re-editing it now and we're going to push it out again with the new, the new version shortly, probably in about about three or four weeks from now. I'm excited to see that because there was a lot of the stories and, and it, and it goes by quickly, right? It's, it's a little over an hour. And I thought, Oh, this, what, why, why, what, why, why is this it? Like I, I wanted to hear more. And, and I really like how, you know, it's broken into sections, the schools, the church life, about the pool, the the King Cotton Carnival. What in the world? Like the <laughs> like, uh, was there um, with the K's? You know, King K's. Cotton Carnival. I was like, that's no accident. You're I not mean, even trying you know, to hide someone it. purposely yeah. put that in there for a reason. And I thought, man, that that caught me off guard. I, I didn't expect that. That really, when I saw that, I was like, oh man, Mason, we yeah, I guess we had that, but people don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. It was, it was great. I mean, we people told stories, and I really wanted to hear stories. We give you some facts, you know, we mm-hmm. give you a lot of facts, but uh, I really wanted to hear their experiences more than anything. And in the pool, where they did a, a survey to decide yeah. if they should integrate the pool. It's like, <laughs> you have to ask people, how is that? It's kids. We don't care. <laughs> right. And it was uh, 62 said that it's okay to, to stop segregating. 287 said some form of segregation and 97 said keep the segregation. 
I said, what? Whoa, that's not even close to, to just letting everybody uh, swim and do the thing. Yeah, it was surprising. And like I said, I don't even know if they had interviewed any, any Negroes or African-Americans at the time. Right. Probably not. Jeez. Uh, Probably there, not. Yeah. <laughs> was there anything, I know you were familiar with the community, that getting, getting these stories that, that really surprised you? I know one of the, the things that sort of shook me was, um, I think it was Miss Joyce Bailey, when she was say, uh, talking about being traumatized by busing. Again, I didn't connect those dots that, you know, being taken from this community and being went to another school where maybe you're the only Black or African-American student. What she was talking about that, that really traumatized her and, and even just yeah, that was surprising. You know, the one thing that really surprised me is the connection when you watch it and you don't think about it, but the whole mentality of the house slave and the field slave. Mm. Because you hear Joyce say, you know, and the other guy say, well, work, first you do the, you know, work in the cotton fields. And then the other girl said, then you work in the house, cleaning houses. And I was like, wow, that's still in your mind. And even the other guy, he said, when you work for the city, you take the lowest position first and you try to build something mm -hmm. it didn't matter it's like wait a minute i have different interests why would i take the garbage man job right off the bat i i can do other things so that was that would that kind of surprised me i was like okay that that exists and, and exists today just as it did then and it's not that long ago yeah and it was uh selected for a few film festivals right including overseas is yeah that, we got into it was like four or five. Uh, the Sir Charles Darwin Festival was the most fascinating because when I talked to the guy, he says, um, here's the way we do it. We show in alternative spaces. I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. And she said, no, we show like clubs and, and bars and stuff. And we show the first five minutes. And if people don't like it, then we don't show it. Oh. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I was on the phone with him when they were showing it at the pub and so you know this day it's like it's like in the morning for me but it was like seven eight o'clock at night for him <clears throat> the next day and so i was on the phone waiting he said we started it we'll see what happens so they started in about eight minutes he came back and he goes they like it we're gonna we're gonna show the whole thing i was like oh, great yes <laughs> That, that was surprising. You know, we, we had showings here in Mesa. We had at the Mesa Library, we showed it. Uh, we showed it at the Mesa Arts Center. Uh, and then we got into Jerome Film Festival. That was a premiere. Yeah. And uh, that was great. That was a really, and then we had a couple online festivals that showed it. And I think we got a festival in New York that showed it. So it, it, it made its round. And then it had a little distribution deal for about, about a year. Okay. Uh, there was a guy streaming it. Uh, before Roku was real popular, he was streaming it there. Yeah. And so uh, with the new edit, I think we can probably get some more. Yeah, I'm hoping so, because those are those are stories that, that should be shared, should be heard, because they were shared, that, that should be heard um, by more people. It's timeless. And, you know, also, yeah. I'm talking to the schools about showing it for in the Mesa Public Schools for January, February, where I'm negotiating now with them. So hopefully we'll get, get it in there. That's awesome. And then you were the artistic director, right, for, um, is it the Sabin Free Clinics project with writing one-act plays? Is that? Yeah, that was, you know, it was, uh, it was educational 
theater. It was a big thing then back in the <clears throat> back in the '90s where people were doing, you know, teens teaching teens or adolescents teaching adolescents or young people teaching young people. So I would write and direct the one act plays, and I did a ton of research every time for each play <clears throat> that I wrote. And one of my favorites was uh, called My Brother's Keeper. And because I had noticed that they weren't doing a lot of outreach to gangs for HIV and AIDS. <clears throat> so I started doing some research on it. And I mean, some of the rituals that they were doing were just insane. I mean, they had, I looked at gangs in Hollywood, I looked at gangs in South Central, the gangs in East LA, <clears throat> I looked at the Asian gangs, girl gangs. And, and one of the rituals we ran across was uh, the bloodsuckers. They would cut themselves and bleed into a cup take a sip that was part of the initiation i'm like man you're doing that whatever someone has you're gonna have and so that was intense and so when we wrote that play uh we took it around to prisons and group homes and it's, it's interesting like the people watching it the guys would say like man, that's a crazy game i'm like are you serious <laughs> you think this gang is crazy <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we did conferences with it and they did really well. We had a guy come up to us afterwards and he saw it because you know what? It's, it's changed my life. Just, I, I, I see it now, you know, and, uh, and I'm turning that into a screenplay. I'm working on it now. Oh, wow. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I've got the first draft done. I'm looking, uh, yeah. gonna load again, but I'm making, and you know, the whole concept of that, you know, because we really don't talk about the risk that they do. So it was a great job. It's like great to have a job for about, I guess about five years. Yeah. And they were real supportive. I went off and did a couple of films. And they were like, go do the films and come back. <laughs> they were like, we don't want to lose you. It was great. So I, I had a wonderful time. Um, how do you keep that energy going? Because I'll, I'll feel like when I'm writing or when I'm, I'm acting, I'll eventually hit a wall where I need a break or I just need some sort of thing to, to hit refresh on my, my soul, I guess. But, I mean, these are big heavy topics and and beautiful stories how 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 do you maintain that energy how do you maintain that motivation you know i try to straight stay true to the mission of creating stories that touch people's heart mm. you know uh, even though they may not be of that background there's somewhere in it that it connects and you know pain is pain I don't care who you are. Everybody understands pain. Everybody understands joy. And so I always think I need to get this stuff out there because if you don't, if you don't tell those stories, who's going to tell them? You got to tell yourself as, as a person of color, you've got to take an opportunity and say, look, I'm just going to put it out there. We'll see what happens. If they like it, they like it. If they don't like it, that's okay to talk about. At least they're talking about it. Yeah, so I'm okay with that. So it's always like, you know what, it's an opportunity. I'm always looking for opportunities to tell my stories from my perspective. And uh, I think people can relate to it on some level. So you know, just, just stay positive and keep moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, know, I know I'm really grateful now, like my son growing up, that there's all these really, these great projects by, made by people of color that he can look to because that was not really around when I was a kid um, and all the, the stereotypes of, of different um, communities of people and how they were portrayed in the media. It really affects how, how you sort of see yourself and that's sort of how you even 
maybe your insecurities or or what you think you can do. Pretty good here. I'm going to move us outside. I'm having a hard time hearing. There we go. Which still good, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, I'll move us outside. Yeah, but a little quieter out here. Yeah, they have a talent show going on in the background there. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I think it's important that, you know, folks of color keep telling their stories. You know, you, you don't you don't let up. Uh, their challenges always. People don't always want to hear some of the stories. You know, like they just kind of think, well, you're telling this again and again. Well, you have to. Mm-hmm. You got to keep telling it. You know, like you got to you just got to keep reminding people this is what's going on. Man. I mean, we've come a long way. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. We still have some challenges. And Mesa has done a lot. I mean, our our council member, Jen Duff, I think is great. She created the non, uh, non-discrimination ordinance for the city. You know, it's okay. like, look, it's going to. And the mayor jumped on it, too. And they recognized Juneteenth in Mesa for the first time last year. So it's going to be great. So this June team coming up, next year, June team coming up, uh, I said, look, let's do something more official, something bigger. It was great that you got the proclamation and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, let's create some activities. Let's create some opportunities. And uh, I think they'll I think they'll do it. That's awesome. That awareness is, is really needed. I didn't even know about, again, Juneteenth till I, a couple years ago, which is it's just sad. This should be taught in schools. And so um, I know for, for myself, I, I'm a pre-K teacher. I, I do my best to show my kids different people from around the world, different walks of life, because um, they, they'll get the sort of same history, right, that they're taught in public schools of, of certain founding yeah. fathers and whatnot. So let me think of, well, who can I talk about? Yeah, right. you know, that's why I want, to get, I want to get Northtown into the school. And I'd love to get it statewide because when they talk about history, black history, it's always like the general national mm-hmm. stuff. And, and it's great to know local stuff. People really can relate to that when they find out something local. They can think that my town did that. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know we had those kind of events. Because, yes, you know, we had, you know, we had the sundown town, Mesa, Tempe, uh, Scottsdale back in the 20s. My God. 20s, 30s. It was the sundown town where, you know, in Suncon town, you need to be gone. Yeah. And here in Mesa, it was like, you need to be back in that community. You need to be back in that neighborhood. And in Tempe, you need to be out of town. If you work there, we didn't want you to live here. Scottsdale, Scottsdale too. Uh, Bisbee, Kingman. It was statewide thing. It's a, and people just sort of forget about that. They don't really talk about that. So I think it's important to continue, continue the efforts, man. You really got to keep stuff going. So, and that's what I try to do with my work. It's centered around those, those issues, other things as well. You know, I'm glad you looked at the website, uh, the black doll collection. I, I am going to be presenting on that shortly. Uh, my veterans exhibit opens up, uh, November the 8th, all the way through the 13th here in Mesa at yeah. the Mesa veterans yeah. resource center. And you can, uh, go to my Facebook page. I'll send you the link. It's going to be great. I've got all these veterans from my neighborhood that people don't know about. It's just, Amazing. I, and I looked at Civil War up to World War II. There were two guys from our neighborhood that were in the Civil War were Buffalo soldiers. Oh, my goodness. And one of the stories, and it's a story, I don't know how true it is, Alexander McPherson, he was a slave down south, and he was a very trusted slave. And they'd send him into town to the delivery table, to the delivery store, to get stuff all the time. And right around when, you know, the inf- things were happening and there were fight was maybe going to happen. The war was going to maybe break out. They weren't sure. They sent him into town 
to pick up some stuff. And he just kept walking. And he just walked his way to freedom and joined, joined, the, joined the military, fought in the Civil War and came back, got his family and got them out of the out of the area. So I don't know how true that story is, but it's a great story. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure there's some truth in there somewhere. That's the, the veterans of Washington Escobedo community, right? The exhibition. Yeah. What what drew you to that topic specifically? about honoring you know, our veterans. A couple of my, my dad was in World War II. And so I thought, how many guys from our neighborhood? I just thought, I wonder if they were in, you know. And so I, I started asking some of the older guys, you know, the guys who are in their 90s. I said, hey, um, you guys in World War II? And Mr. Boyd, who I talked to, he goes, yeah, he said, I was in World War II. I said, wow. I said, well, what about the rest of you? He goes, yeah, it was a lot of us. And I went, oh. Okay, so then I started doing research, and there had been talk in our neighborhood. I think you saw in the documentary that the black troops had lived in the projects. Yeah, you know, and so I thought, well, let me find out about that. Well, I'd never seen any photographs of those guys, and during my research, I found them. I found pictures of them, and so that really set it off. It's like, okay, let me get deep into this. Then I made discovery. The Mesa Tribune, fortunately were publishing guys from the war in the paper from World War II. Mostly white guys, but they did African-Americans, Latinos, and Native Americans. And so that was a great resource to find those stories and then talk to people. And, I mean, one of my favorite stories is, uh, he's not from our neighborhood, but um, he's from Arizona. Matthew B. Juan. He was the first casualty from Arizona in World War I. Oh, wow. He's Native American. And I was thinking, oh, my God, this guy. And he was older than most of the guys that, that were in World War I. I think he was like 24, hmm. maybe 25. And most of the guys in World War I were like 19, 18, 19, 20. So he was older than most of them. So I thought about that. I go, if he was 24, that means he had to be born like 1895. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and so I thought his father would have been say twenty years before that, right? Grandfather twenty years before that, they probably told him stories about Indian fights that they had. He probably heard those stories, and I thought that's amazing that with that history, he makes a choice. I'm going to go fight for America, even though I've been wrong. I'm, and you have to give him special praise for that. I mean, all the Native Americans, like, you know, they treated it so poorly, but yes. yet here they go yes. fighting for this country. And, you know, and you're talking 19, 15, 18, they were still robbing trains back in Arizona. Right. <laughs> that was, and the Buffalo soldiers were still fighting Native Americans here mm-hmm. before World War One. And so I, I just got to admire him. And they had named the, I think, the, the veterans VFW over in Chandler after him. That's one of my favorite stories about uh, the veterans. It's just amazing, amazing man. I, I can't imagine that. Yeah. One of the other exhibits was the, the Hallelujah Hats. Man, I just, I just adore that. I adore the idea of it. And it just it looked beautiful. Um, why do you think... Getting dressed up so beautifully, elaborately, whatever adjective you'd like to use. Why is that so important um, for going to church? I 
went to church a few times as a kid and yeah, everyone is always dressed up and it's always very clean and very, why? What, what do you think is the, the meaning of, of that? You know, I think what it is, those, those women, and I chose that era, those women that they matched everything, purses, gloves, mm-hmm. shoes, everything had to match. I mean, you're talking about women that were born like 1920, 1918, up until like 1960, 1970. And so you remember, they came through the Great Depression, those women. They were young women in the 30s. They were. And so and, and most of those women were probably working either in the cotton fields or working cleaning houses all across America. And they were always looking at, you know, like National Geographic was very common for them to look at and have the influence. So I think it was important that they find one day where they could be classy, you know, not going out Saturday night. No, they wanted to be classy. And church was the place. You could get your outfit. And I remember my mom and her friends, they would be in the kitchen matching everything up and trading, saying, girl, you need to wear this with this, and this looks better. And I think it was important to them to show that style and that grace and in a positive light, not out of some juke joint someplace, drinking and carrying on. It's like, we want to be classy. And so, and their style was very different from, from the white women's style. Yeah. And so I thought, let's celebrate the churches through their fashion. And all the stuff that was on display belonged to my mom. Oh, man, that's I, I just love that so much. When you were when you were talking about that in the, the, the trailer the video interview. piece. Yeah, the interview. I think that what, what a great way to honor a parent, right? Because they do so much for us. Yeah. Uh, I'm learning now as a, as a dad that uh, I was a terrible kid. <laughs> I, I should have uh, been nicer to my parents. But they, they, they do a lot for us. Yeah, that, and they always say, they, they tell you, just wait. Just wait till oh, you yeah. have kids. <laughs> then when you have kids, you go, oh, my goodness. How did you not break my arm or shoot me right. in the leg or get rid of me? Because I was. And, but they said, hey, that's, that's part of it. That's okay. We love you. Mm-hmm. We know you're going to get through it. You know, as you get older, you get your own kids. And then when your parents need, need you, you say, you know what, mom, I love you. I'll take care of you, dad whatever you need. Mm-hmm. So uh, they knew what they were doing. For sure. On top of all the, the writing, producing, directing, acting, you got nominated for uh, Arizona for Fame the Musical, right? Choreography? Yeah, for choreography. I got nominated for choreography. You and I got nominated. Too. Yeah, I, got, I, I choreographed the show and I got nominated for uh, Best Performer for a show called Simply Sammy, which I wrote and directed. Desert Foothills Theater. And so, you know, I was trying to be that triple threat. I ran off to Toronto years ago and trying to be singing that because Ben Vereen was, was someone I thought was just amazing. Ben Vereen and Sammy Davis Jr. Those are the guys that I thought, hey, I, so I really studied hard and, and said, let's let's do this triple threat thing. And so it worked out pretty good for me. Oh, man, that's that's wonderful. I can I can dance pretty well. I, I love acting. Singing is terrible. Singing, I've never figured out how to do. Um, I, I envy you and and writing. Like it, this is this is just inspiring to be able to talk to you. I, people can find websites and stuff, but to actually have a conversation with you, I'm just thrilled right now. Hey, great, thank you. You know, and, and it's just work. You just gotta you gotta do the work. You gotta put the time yeah. in uh, to make stuff happen. That's the only way. It's the only way you can do it. For sure. What do you hope your work inspires? What do you what do you hope people get out of it when they when they see something you wrote or something you were you were in or even just your life story? 
I, I guess maybe just lately I've been thinking about what's my legacy as a person, right? What, what do I really want to leave behind? Go, I'm sure that goes through your head as a, as a creative. You know, I, I just want to do the work. And, and, and once you finish the work, it's there. And so writing books, you know, my book, that was my first book published. I'm doing a book about the veterans. And so I've decided every time I do a documentary, I'm going to do a companion book. Oh, that's uh, great. Because I do so much research. Why not? But, you know, I want people just to remember where we came from and what we did and what we accomplished. And, you know, doing it in film, putting it out in books, those things last for a long time. If theater is great, but once you, if you have, if you don't that there to see that play, mm-hmm. then you miss it. Whereas film and, and writing, it's here. Somewhere it'll pop up. Somebody has a copy somewhere. Some young person will run across it in Northtown. Sometime when I'm long gone, they'll go, wow, who did this guy? What was this guy? This film that he did. It'll be on a DVD or a digital somewhere. And of course, book and hard print, they're out there. So I really just say, you know what? Let me tell my story as best I can through the work that I do as an actor. That's all I can do. And hopefully someone will see it long after I'm gone and go, hey, that 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 touched my heart. I can relate to that. And hopefully my nieces and nephews will remember all that stuff and say, yeah, our Uncle Bruce, this is what this is what he made happen. May I ask, where does that come from? Because that, that's such a a great, I guess, uh, creative mission, right? You're you're doing something with a goal in mind with with giving back to the community and highlighting stories because um, you don't have to, right? You're choosing to. Where does that come from? You know, I really think that is my, my mom, my grandmother. They always say, you need to remember where you came from. Mm. Always. You know, because they saw me growing and, and I got to travel a lot. And, and that has stayed with me. And it just kept me on a good path. You know, when I was touring in Europe and touring across the country, there are a lot of opportunities to get into some kind of sketchy uh, situations, uh-huh. <laughs> opportunities present themselves. <laughs> and so I would always keep that in my mind. So, you know, remember where you came from, you know, you, you know, and my, 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 one of my older brothers, he taught me really well how to identify the, the, the crooks. You know, he says, this is what you need to look for when you're out. Because uh, he said, you can't be the crook no matter what. He says, that's what they do. So, you, you know, you need to stay on the narrow. You're going to have some hiccups. But my mother always said, if you don't have anything to do, don't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you start looking for stuff, the stuff is looking for you. <laughs> so if you have anything, don't do anything. It's okay. It's okay to be quiet. It's okay to sit and, and do nothing. It's okay. It's okay to be by yourself. You don't have to be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I, my mom somehow instilled into me. And so when I was touring, I was okay with that. I didn't always need to have something happening. Uh, mm-hmm. to be at peace with that. So I think that those early beginnings, I think that, you know, and my, and my aunt, my great aunt, because she was across the street uh, when I was growing up, and, and my other aunts, I had a lot of aunts, all of them were saying, you know, uh, these are things you need to value because they will keep you uh, on the straight, straightened path where you're going to have some hiccups, but you'll always come back to your center. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can explore some things, but you're not going to go too far you'll always come back to your center, you know, because everybody knows young people are going to do something. Mm-hmm. And what they hope is that they get that moral compass where you only go so far and go, okay, uh, we're stepping over the line. Now, I, I, that's, that's enough. You know, and as a young kid, we did that. I had 
trust me, my buddies and I, we got into our trouble. But I would always go, oh, wait a minute. We're stepping way over the line now. You know, now that's I'm pulling back, guys. Mm-hmm. You, you guys go ahead, but I'm, I'm I've had enough. So I think that comes from, from my my mom, my grandmother, my great aunt, my older brother. All of those folks really instilled that in me and saying, "Look, you have some people that have come before you. They made great sacrifices, so you need to you need to step up to the game." So I think that's where that comes from. Yeah, uh, I love that. What is a documentary you'd recommend? You were saying you, you watch a lot or you love them. But uh, what is one people really need to check out? There's a couple of great ones I watched. Val Kilmer, the actor, his documentary came out. Okay. Really good. Uh, there's one called uh, Crack uh, by um, a young man named Nelson. He just produced that. Crack is just, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, we talk about the, the epidemic with folks doing the, uh, what are they doing? The, not the steroids, they're doing hydrocodone, oxycotton. Oh, yes. Yeah. Everybody's in peril about that. But Stanley Nelson, that's the that's producer. Stanley yeah. Nelson did a documentary called Crack. And, man, if you get a chance to see that, because those folks were trying to deal with pain just like anybody else. But they were locking them up saying, you're, you're bad, you're junkies, you're all this well. You know, that was available to them. Oxycontin wasn't available to them from the doctor. Most of them didn't have insurance. So they were dealing with issues and pain and trying to figure things out. Crack was cheap. It was easy. And so if you watch that documentary, man, uh, another one is uh, I Am Not Your Negro about James Baldwin. It's a wonderful documentary to watch. I say... Though, and people don't see them enough. I mean, you know, you just said, I'm a big, I'm a big PBS fan, so you know, I'm always watching PBS. They have some great things out there. So those two, I would recommend. Okay. Right away, um, and even Mary J. Blige's documentary that just came out. Oh, okay. Uh, that one was a wonderful one. So yeah, I, I'm always I'm on PBS probably 60 percent of the time. If I'm watching TV, I'm on PBS. That's awesome. And you brought up the exhibition earlier what other projects are you currently working on i'm working on a short film collection collection of short films and they're based on the book court stories mm-hmm. and uh, i've done one of the films called raglan tales and it'll be showing at the mesa international film festival in december oh, so wow. make sure you come out and see that yeah it, it's yes, one of, but i'm working on a collection of short films about based on that book and so I'm starting to do some fundraising for that probably in about six or seven months. Okay. Uh, so we'll kind of see, but I'm finishing up the veterans exhibit right now. That's the one that's on the rights of the exhibit. So those are the things that I'm kind of trying to pump out right now. And then there's a film that a guy's talked to me about. We're hoping to get out there. We'll see where he is with it. He's trying to raise the money. So always something in the, in the back that's going on. Yeah. And your song recommendation, Gregory Porter, take me to the alley. Can you share a little bit why why currently in your life this is you're feeling? This you know, song? Greg Porter is a jazz singer, and if you get a chance to listen to his music, pretty much always has some kind of message to it, and that song really strikes a chord. I think it, it talks about you know when 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 whoever whatever that ethereal godlike thing or lack for better or whatever you believe in that spirituality, mm-hmm. when it comes down here, people were getting putting on all these big things to do with it. And as soon as that person got here, they said, take me to the alley, take me to the afflicted ones, take me to the ones who have no hope. I see you other people, you've got gold and silver, you got all your shiny things, but take me to those are the folks that need me. Yeah. 
And so I think what his his work is just amazing. So get a chance to see him. And I heard him on PBS. Um, I heard him on NPR. That's where I heard him first. Yeah. Public okay. radio, public TV, public radio. That's my outlet for a lot of this. I'm, I'm usually listening to public radio most of the time. Perfect. And then I usually end the episode with a little more random questions. What have you done in the past week to take care of yourself? You know, I, I get up early. I either get on my bicycle and ride or I take my life's long walk and go to the gym. And I do that. And I, and I treat myself every Thursday and Friday to some nice, wonderful fish. Ooh. You know, I really just take an opportunity to treat myself fish. And I'm not a big sweet eater. I used to be. So now, like, once a week, maybe twice, I'll treat myself to uh, something something sweet. So, you know, physicality, being physical, doing some kind of workout. And I make sure I see my nieces and nephews, support them when they're playing basketball games, soccer games. I'm right out there cheering, telling them, you, you can do it. Just keep it going. So those those are things to do. And you're really, just really taking the moment, getting up early, getting out of the house doing some stuff even though the pandemic is going on mm-hmm. i think it's still important to continue that regiment for, for myself sure. if you could live relive one day of your life what day would you choose oh i i wow that's a that's a tough one i have to give that some thought um a moment with my mom probably mm-hmm. a moment with my mother you know I, I there's so many but a moment with my mother would be wonderful to uh, to relive, I think when, you know, just having her laugh and smile and being proud of, of what I do. Uh, you know, I remember when my mom passed away almost two years ago. And one of the things I remember she said to me, she said, you know, I want you to be a good guy. You know, I said, okay, mom, I'll be a good guy. <laughs> so I want you to be a good guy. And so I'm really trying to live up to that. Yeah. Who is your oldest friend? Oh, wow. I, I would say Mr. Boyd. Okay. Him and my mom grew up together. He's, he's almost 100. <laughs> and I try to check with him like every once a month. Uh-huh. I just check in and, and give him a call. Mr. Board, how you doing? Can I take you to breakfast or something? And, and he's just a sweetheart of a guy, you know, and I, he's probably my, my oldest friend. Okay. When was the last time you felt you had a new lease on life? Yesterday. Yeah? <laughs> yesterday. Yesterday, I was at my niece's basketball game and uh, it was just fun watching her because she's just starting out she's 12 and it was just fun to watch her get out there and try you know with other girls and it was exciting and so I haven't told her yet but I'm going to tell her I used to have a unicycle basketball team wait whoa (laughs) what yeah, I had it. We played basketball. My brothers were with me uh-huh. and uh, I haven't told her that. So and I have footage of it. And so I'm going to let her play a little more and I'm going to show it to her. Say, you know what? You're doing a great job. But, but check this out. Oh, wow. She'll get a kick out of that. That is that's, yeah. that's pretty great. I um, really put a shot in my arm and really got. Me. Um, and then last question. Uh, what is your perfect breakfast look like? Uh, you know, I love like uh, goose liver pate mm. on a little croissant, some fruit, uh, some nice fruits and berries or a peach or something, and some coffee yes. with a little bit of cream in it. I think that's uh, that's great. That's a great. That I, that's a wonderful treat for me. And it's hard to get here. Pate is hard to get here. And when okay. I lived in Toronto, that was one of my favorite go-to's 
Puna, and there's a guy down the corner that made his own pate. He grounded himself, goose liver pate. He made his own croissants. Yeah. And uh, about twice a week, that would be like a wonderful thing. Spread that on there, and that that's a that's a tasty little treat with some different fruits, some peaches, or some blueberries or something. That I love. And then every now and then, I'll mix that up with some scones. But that would be that'd be ideal. Yeah. Um, that's it. I I seriously just. Uh, appreciate your time uh your thoughts your words uh i'm excited to to go through the book more and to whatever else whatever events please post it somewhere and uh my wife and i would love to to show up um, and support any way we can thank you so much for doing this and have a great rest of your weekend yeah it's saturday right <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. sorry and i'll post the links on instagram so the exhibit coming up hopefully we'll see you there oh perfect all right buddy thanks Bye. a lot man I'll talk to you soon. I'm out of here. So if you have anything, don't do anything. It's okay. It's okay to be quiet. It's okay to sit and, and do nothing. It's okay. It's okay to be by yourself. You don't have to be afraid of that. Mm-hmm.